back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. My name is Andrew Mullen, and I'm, as always, joined by my co-host, Michael Livingston. And uh, today, if my voice sounds a little off, that's because I'm, I'm going through a bit of a cold, but I didn't want to miss today's episode. Tis, tis the season. You know, because it's going to be a fun episode, and yes. I, I, I can't deny you our, our gracious content, so mm-hmm. um, we're going to power through it. Yes. And, uh, we're going to do all of our and I think, uh, fun conversations. Yeah. Um, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at yes. scheckofficial. Mm-hmm. Um, we post content on there sometimes. sometimes. Um, <laughs> Usually we just post our episode, but yeah. you got to get back and do hey, that. Yeah, you follow us, we'll give you more content. How about that? It's a, sure. it's a two-way street, we'll, right? We've got to do more polls. Yeah. we got to do more single recommendations, mm-hmm. new sh- shit. Yeah. Usually that's what we try doing. Absolutely. So... Um, so I think we should actually change the name of this podcast oh to God. Spook Check because uh, these next two episodes are going to be kind of fitting with the uh, with our festive October themes here on, on Halloween and kind of more uh, more things that we're not used to and it's going to be a little spooky. And what are we talking about this week, Andrew? I hate you. First of all. <laughs> Second of Spook all. Check, dude. Just for this month. Just for these next two episodes, just let me let me have this. <laughs> I already have a headache, Michael. I okay. Need it further worsened. Anyways, so Michael. Yes. Music industry can be pretty weird sometimes. Indeed. Like like many forms of uh, our our artistic industries, such as movies, TV shows, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, the music industry attracts a lot of larger-than-life egos and characters, usually a bit oddball, and a lot of times people butt heads mm-hmm. or just weird things happen behind the scenes. Absolutely. And a lot of those times, those weird things do not stay behind the scenes, and we learn about them, or people develop their own theories about certain al- albums or artists. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly, uh, there is a lot to talk about there. Did you come up with that intro, like, on the spot, or did you practice that in front I, of the I, mirror? I, I practiced them. Okay, <laughs> it was a good intro. I appreciate. Well, no. it. So you. today, I can say we're talking about the musical conspiracy theories, backstories, urban interest, legends, urban legends, myths, interesting things, just weird music stories. Yeah. Now, again, like you said, you dropped the word conspiracy theories. Some of these are obviously bogus. Some of these are famous mm-hmm. and obviously bogus. But some of these are actually true stories, and they're just weird things that's happened throughout the time mm-hmm. of music. Yeah. So, so I, a lot of this episode is just going to be like scary, spooky, conspiracy story time. I scary. With, uh, but <laughs> yeah, but with Andrew and Michael. And it's going to be a good time. We don't know exactly how this episode is going to pan out. No. We have like a list of topics that we'll, you know, we'll result to if we kind of run into a rut but mainly this is just going to kind of be free flow conversation yeah. we do have a list of roughly 10 uh topics to talk about here but they're in no particular order no. we're just we're just going to go through we're gonna have a nice flowing conversation about some of the oddest things that we could yeah. think of in music now we could have re- if we really expanded what yeah the kind of stuff we would talk about we really could have gone on forever with the ideas yeah but we could have like interpreted song lyrics or like guessed about what this album is about but really this yeah. is kind of like behind the scenes with the actual artists themselves yeah. the music it, industry you'll you'll kind of yeah. get the idea more i think as we go along mm-hmm. um and the episode why either fall flat on its face or be a, a huge success in right, my opinion 
You never know. But uh, also, I should point out, a lot of these, again, you will probably know about. Mm-hmm. Some of these you might not have heard about. Yeah. You know, hopefully, again, kind of like our, our covers episode last week, we kind of wanted a mix of different different things. We want to make sure you, you hear some stuff that you do know and yeah. hear some stuff about you probably never. So what comes to mind when you think of the oldest myth in music industry lore you can think of? Ah, good transition, my friend. Because, yes. of course, if you had to think about at least one artist who perhaps one single artist, perhaps most shrouded in all of music history, in urban legends and lore mm-hmm. and just uh, just just you know, and it's kind of an enigma almost because we don't know a lot about the man's life. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be certainly legendary blues artist Robert Johnson. Yeah, and everybody knows about that myth that goes back to about 1930, 1931, I believe, of... Robert Johnson essentially selling his soul to the devil in order to be really a really good blues musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I watched a video today that kind of debunked that. Um, did you well, watch? Re- really? Really? Well, yeah. <laughs> Obviously. Did you tell me he didn't go down to the crossroads like his song said, and he sold his well, soul to well, the devil? Well, there's, you know, the Crossroads Blues isn't the only song on that uh, in his, I think it's 29 songs that he yes. had recorded. Obviously, that Hell kind of eludes on that. My trail. Yeah. And others, I can't remember. Right. But um, I watched a video today made by, well, his his grandson was interviewed. Um, and he kind of explained, like, from what he researched and what he found out, in the six months that um, Robert Johnson left where he was trying to play the blues, where was it that he was trying to do that? But he went back to his home state of Mississippi, and he and he met a man named Ike Zimmerman yes. that essentially taught him the blues and taught him to be good. But he did it in such a short amount of time. Granted, the blues is not the most challenging no, I mean, uh, genre to learn. The legendary 12-bar blues, yeah. of course. But it's still impressive how he was able to really put his own spin on things and just completely transform the genre in just six months and then come back and perform mm-hmm. to all these people. And I don't know. What, I mean, when did you first hear about this? Um, what do you think about it? So I, I, hmm. I maybe you can share this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably a different. It's probably a combination of two things. Because um, it probably happened around the same time. Mm-hmm. A certainly my music appreciation class that I took in high school. We spent a long time about you know early blues and obviously Robert sure. Johnson was sure. there and all his stories and obviously um, the whole idea of. Um, the crossroads mm-hmm. and selling a soul. The others could have probably be the episode of Super- Supernatural where they talk about <laughs> yeah. that story. Yeah, I, I I do not like the show anymore. I will say most of the aspects I, I don't I don't enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I do remember I do remember that episode and of course the whole kind of gave me some misinterpretation about the myth because I think a lot of people who watched that episode you would think that he would have died. But get finally when the Hellhounds finally caught up to him and right. then you he, he got and I, I remember there was like a um a uh, secondary source that was like I remember watching him like crawl on his knees and bark like a dog the day he died or something like that some offhand comment but uh yeah I I actually heard about this sort of like crossroads devil summoning um from that episode of Supernatural as well and of course and and that went on to be if I don't want to get too off track with this but that that whole 
going down to the crossroads, yeah. and, you know, giving an artifact or whatever. That, came, that was a huge, mm-hmm. you know, plot. Like, that was a huge device, plot device used in that right. series. But that's not even the correct way to summon the devil, I think. Because I think what it is is you go. This is what I heard in a, one this of the is videos from your, I watched. Uh, long years of practicing summoning the devil. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, what I've experienced <laughs> is you're supposed to go to the crossroads and you're supposed to play your guitar. In the center of the crossroads, and then uh, um, the the video described it as uh, a large man will come and take your guitar, tune it well, for you. This sounds specific to his story, at least. Right. P- tune it for you, and then play, and then he'll give it back to you, and yeah. somehow you're able to play the best blues in the entire country. Yeah. I mean, and here's the thing. Part, I probably understood why people would have thought so. Thought this could have happened, because A, it, was, it happened in you know, the early you know, 20th century, and of mm-hmm. course, I mean... I think a lot, I mean a lot of there's still a lot of religious superstition in this country, mm-hmm. as well as the fact that yeah, it was about six months to a year, like you said, when he was going off to learn how to play guitar. Right. And when he came back, everyone, everyone said, "Oh, he sucked before, but after a year, oh my God, he's amazing now." Right. So a lot of people assumed, well, clearly he just sold his soul to the devil. Right. Well, clearly, wasn't just practicing really hard. I mean, and and it goes back to the, the 1930s where you don't have a lot of um, efficient communication methods. So I can mm-hmm. see how a myth like that will come in, and you can, you know, and the, it can very be twisted early, over time. Yes, the very early days of recorded music, like they're, you know, you got to realize how primitive that technology was, and how the myths like that can get created. But um, yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting lore and folk yeah. story, and 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 it just as interesting. I mean, I know. Uh, Unless, if you obviously you didn't didn't die from, from the hell how he finally <laughs> right, catching him, right? But it, it's just as equally mysterious as how he died. Most right. like most people assume that he was actually poisoned, you know, murdered, right? From drinking. I think alcohol. what it was, I and I saw this uh, like a quote um, from one of the old blues guys that used to play with uh, Johnson. He would say like, you know, the the girls will come up to you and say, "Oh, l- let me hear that song again," you know, like let me he- let me hear that song, Daddy. They, they, you know, they would call him daddy. And, uh, <laughs> and, they, and, he, and the guy advised Johnson, like, don't play the song because then the husband or boyfriend will get jealous, yeah. you know. So I know that's a theory. I know there's other theories that's gone around saying like, he had probably had multiple lovers, yeah. probably a lot at once. And obviously one might have gotten jealous yes. of the others and they decided to get revenge and poison him. They're, no one really knows what happened there. Yeah. But most, I think... Um, the one thing we do know is that we don't really know where he's buried. Yeah, um, yeah, that's, that's probably an unmarked grave. I imagine because again, this is also during the depression when he died. Mm-hmm. So I imagine not a lot of people had a lot of money. So see, how were they able to uh, know that he? They were. They don't know where he's buried, but they know he was. He died at the age of twenty-seven. Well, here's the thing. He wasn't a huge artist first time. I mean, he he's kind of one of the original cult. Artist, you know, mm-hmm. he he wouldn't be as celebrated as he as he is now until many years after his death. Right, but he's still had enough of a presence where I feel like, at least around his area, where people would have known when he would have died. So mm-hmm. most people probably could have guessed. Oh yeah, it was this date in in nineteen thirty eight when he was yeah. twenty seven. I mean, at the very least, people probably just knew when he was born and when he died. So yeah. I think he had that big enough of a presence where people would know this. Yeah, can I give my theory now? To lead into our next topic, real quick. What? Which? Which, which topic? Uh, I want to talk about the twenty-seven oh, club you briefly. Jump to club? Yeah. Yes. Because okay. just just quickly, and we can we can breeze by it real quick. But I I really believe because Robert Johnson, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think he was the first 
musician in At least the major one that yeah, people that died today. that died in the age of like recording music when recording music industry was yeah. just getting started. So I truly believe. Well, I don't truly believe. It. I'm gonna. I'm, you, you want? But this is just a, this is just a theory I came up with. This is a new conspiracy maybe, theory. Maybe maybe Robert Livingston. Johnson didn't sell his soul to the devil, but he began a curse of um, artists, quick rise to popularity that suddenly die at the age of 27. And you're gonna see that in Janis Joplin and Kurt Cobain and Jimi Hendrix. Just want to talk and, about the 27 Club. Yeah, now, and Amy Winehouse. I mean, yeah, everyone knows pretty much what it is. Well, yeah, so um, the 27 Club, um, it, so pretty much it's the idea that somehow if you're a musician and you're of the age of 27, you have an elevated risk of dying at that age right? because there's a lot of famous examples of people dying at the age of 27, mm-hmm. obviously. Robert Johnson, Brian Jones, Hen- Jimi Hendrix, mm-hmm. Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kirk Cobain, and Amy Winehouse are like some of the biggest ones I think. Yes, on that list. Um, to me, it's pretty fucking stupid because <laughs> it's it, uh, people just probably don't know what coincidences coincidences are. Yeah, you actually look, and actually I looked at like a list on mm-hmm. Wikipedia of like all these famous quote unquote famous musicians that died at the age of twenty seven, and like most of these people, I don't who the fuck are these people, you right. know? And when I look at it's like you guys are just trying to find too many parallels in these people, mm-hmm. and like this probably if you look at any other age, even like. The, around these relatively young ages, like the age of twenty-seven, yeah. you'll probably find just as many artists for them too. Well, not only that, but you'll you'll see a trend a lot in these in the artists, especially like Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain. They all had pretty rough childhoods and had a re- really quick rise to fame and struggled with drug and alcohol yeah, addiction. Winehouse, another perfect yeah, example. Winehouse as well. So, like, it's n- it's no mystery <laughs> why, why they why died these... so young. Exactly. And the, a lot of them have just happened at the age of 27. And, right. you know, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's really the ultimate answer. It's drugs, kind of, is. it's not whatever. But mm-hmm. apparently there was also, like, and your, your friend Brody, um, mm-hmm. who was on our uh, email episode last season, yep. um, mentioned a, a part of this that I had never heard of, the white lighter theory. Right. Where, like, all these artists had been found in the white Bic lighter when they died. <laughs> I don't really get that one, but... um. I mean, yeah, it is. Well, I a guess good it's chunk of the twenty-seven, cl- the famous twenty-seven club had. Yeah, them when they died. I guess it's just another coincidence that people will use to tie it all together. You mm-hmm. know, because um, I mean, that's what really happens when you're hunting for to make a conspiracy mm-hmm. theory or make like a, a folklore or something like that. Is you're finding really digging deep and finding really offhand, um, obscure reasons to tie yeah. these cases together, and. Um, you know, the white Bic lighter is definitely an example of that. Um, something I did find, a couple interesting points I did find out about this. Um, first of all, Snopes actually tying to the white lighter theory. Mm-hmm. Now, this actually, t- actually did a check on this, and they said, yeah, the Bic didn't even start producing white lighters until like several years after, um, uh, you know, like a lot of the famous cases, like mainly oh, ones yeah? in the six, late 60s, early 70s, like Morrison right. and Hendrix. Um, so... That probably didn't even happen. Right. I mean, so, I mean, maybe Kurt had one. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, something else they also found, and this seriously shocked me. Mm-hmm. Um, where was it? I, I, I think it was on Wikipedia. Um, okay. Uh, I can't find it, but... Um, oh, here it is. Yeah. 
In 20, uh, this is actually real. Okay. In, two th- in December of 2011, the British Medical Journal actually did a study and published an article really? looking into, the, they took time trying to like look into how cancer works mm-hmm. to, to look at this silly idea that musicians have an increased chance of dying at the age of t- 2007. Interesting. At, at the age of 27. And yeah, they didn't find any well, yeah. risk because it's silly. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I guess at that point, the uh, the myth had gotten so much traction, so much yeah. popularity. I, wasn't that the same year Winehouse died? Wait, wait what year is this? this 2011? Is, uh, fact check that for me, dude. Um, that wouldn't surprise Winehouse. me. Winehouse. Um, yeah, 2011. Well, there you go. I guess that, that kind of initiated the reaction to publish a study. But Anyways, yeah. Um, speak, yeah, 27 Club. It's speaking, silly. speaking of uh, people dying, is Paul McCartney dead, Andrew? We skipped over another one. It's okay. <laughs> we're not going in any particular we're order, going, Okay, okay. All right, fine, fine. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I, I thought we were going to go in a certain order, but that's okay. <laughs> so, is Paul dead? No. <laughs> <laughs> but why do people think he's dead? Oh, Andrew has a cold, remember? Sorry. It's okay. So, so, but, why, so why is Paul dead? Well, let's think back. Uh, I think the, the consensus is that Paul died in 1967 in a car accident. And, people, you know, the, the first piece of evidence, evidence in quotation marks, that people will put towards this is Paul did crash his Mini Cooper oh, that did. year. But Paul wasn't even driving, and it re- was reported that nobody was killed in the accident. Yeah. So... Already, you're running into some Although, roadblocks. The newspaper said that mm-hmm. no one died, but how do we know that right. John Paul and Ringo did? John Paul, John George and Ringo right. didn't cover it up. Exactly, because they, because apparently, according to the theorists, they didn't want either like so people wouldn't have to grief, or they wanted to as a joke, or they just didn't. I, I, whatever the reason was, they decided. Yeah. We're not gonna let the public know about Paul's death. Yeah, and then then and I think I think uh, this myth sprouted up as early as 1967. I think there's like a Beatles fan scene. Sure, in the UK, and, and a lot of and a lot of college newspapers and magazines that were yeah. publishing this information. So around I think in ni- 1969, funny enough, um, a, a local student paper to uh, nearer to us in University of Michigan, the Michigan Daily, mm-hmm. actually published a, a, a satirical article. Uh, I think this is kind of the main jumping-off point, actually, for 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 all, all these student publications to, to to publish this idea. Yeah, actually, it was a satirical article that the writer was horrified to find out that people were actually starting to take seriously. Jeez. So I mean, yeah, you're you're gonna get a lot, and with a band as big as the Beatles, you're going to get a, a lot of theories, a lot of them. theories, and a lot of evidence again in quotation marks that that the fans will come up with, and mm-hmm. uh, the most famous of those and. and it's marked that, like, oh, well, here's the logic of this. Why would one of your friends, your bandmates that you've worked with for so long, if they were to tragically die, why would you want to put some, like, messages to That's that what I was thinking. in your music? So, obviously, one of the, one of the, more fam- one of the most famous ones comes at the end of their song, Stroppy Fields Forever, and mm-hmm. everyone's, whereas they hear John say Paul was dead. Right. Yeah, why would you fucking tell your fans that... Or I buried Paul. That's, or, that's the sorry, actual pa- buried, I buried Paul. Sorry, yeah. thank you. Um... I just don't get it. And then there's another one that said this is the second famous piece of evidence. I didn't I hadn't heard this one before. Actually. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, well, wh- which one are you thinking? I'm going to tell uh, Revolution 9. Oh, yeah. If you play Revolution 9, a certain part of it backwards, um, it says like 
that people swear they hear turn me on dead man right which could just if if, there, if that is any subliminal messaging it, it we could just be John bidding these a necrophiliac for all we know. <laughs> I'd dude, be like, come dude, on. <laughs> dude. But yeah, and then you also got the uh the Abbey Road cover. Um, yes. a lot of people will say like um It's like a funeral scene. Right. You got John in the white suit as the um the preacher. You got uh Ringo as the undertaker dressed in all black. Mm-hmm. You got George dressed in like workers man denim as the grave digger, and then you got Paul walking out of step barefoot with all the rest of them. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, it's obviously wrong. I mean, <laughs> but, a lot of people, I remember, dude, I don't know. It makes so Paul much is, sense. <laughs> and by the way, first of all, I'm sorry. A lot of this, most of these conspiracy theories, we're going to clown because we don't believe them because they're silly. <laughs> but, but going to, like, I know Paul has even acknowledged the whole idea. Well, he's wearing, he's barefoot in the photo. That mm-hmm. means he, he's, it's, he's supposed to represent a corpse. And right. he's clowned that idea because it is a bit silly. Right. Let's face it. This is the Beatles. In the late 60s, they were going through a lot of turmoil in their band. Yeah. They're also, like, kind of hippies. Yeah. It's probably high as hell. Yeah. That's good, probably a good and That's probably a more likely explanation why he was barefoot. Yeah. There's another piece, though, that I want to throw by you. Did you hear about the um, the Strawberry Fields costumes, like the um, the band costumes, um, you know, those bright colored well. suits? He has a patch that says OPD. What do you think that stands for? Officially pronounced dead. Is that what an act? Is that what the button actually no, says? I don't th- well, it, that's what it says. Yes, but okay. it, it could mean so many other things. I mean, do you know how weird that record was? They had Strawberry Fields Forever. I am the Walrus for uh-huh. fuck's sakes. It, the, the, the looking at the costume that that a whole almost most of the songs in that album was complete nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's a good album musically, but a lot of it was especially lyrically it was nonsense. Right. It, it, the whole fact, the whole thing about I Am the Walrus, John wrote that was to make fun of the Beatle fans who looked way too deeply into their lyrics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, like, people are just looking too hard into this. Um, Paul, uh, supposedly Paul McCartney, is uh, still alive and well today. And I hardly doubt if, because uh, the whole, because the reason why people, if he's dead, who is the Paul McCartney that we think of? Well, apparently he was a, a guy who won the lookalike contest. And apparently, mm, not only did he yeah. look exactly like Paul McCartney, he had the same sounding voice as, as him as well. Yeah, I think I believe that in, in, impersonator, um, his name is Billy Shears. So if so, everything you see in post um, nineteen sixty seven Paul McCartney is actually a man named Billy Shears. You know, every every that that uh, children's book that he put out, it's not Paul McCartney, man. It's Billy Shears. <laughs> so I think I've as we've determined, Paul is dead. Elvis is still alive, and yes. Tupac and Kurt Cobain are somewhere in Cuba. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Talk about Elvis real quick, though, because uh, that's that's one that I didn't really... I didn't do any research. You, no research on that? All I know is well, that some people at... swear they still cite him. I know Michael Jackson's one in there as well. Like I, there, no, I know I remember my early days of watching YouTube. I'd come yeah. across, like, couple like, like videos that say, new... new 2012 sightings of Michael Jackson, and there's just <laughs> like, like some Bigfoot, like photo <laughs> like face on like the like the hood of a car from yeah. like reflections from the crowd that kind of looks like MJ's face. <laughs> who silly. who was it? Which one of them was spotted as a Home Alone extra? Was that Elvis? I, I think, think I think I think, I think you said that was Elvis. Yeah. Oh well, because was Home Alone, Michael Jackson is still alive when Home Alone is made. You can, I mean, this kind of goes back. You can say a lot of like remembered artists. Are still alive today, right? I mean, because I because people just don't want to believe, and it's past. such a quick turnaround too. I mean, that that kind of shows an example of how 
you know, closely people can identify with this music and the artists and they'll get so attached that they'll actually go through mm-hmm. the stages of grief in order to um, kind of cope with their loss. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I want to say like three days after Chris Cornell passed away, people were already saying like, or they were already speculating, like, why would he, why would he hang himself? Like, he had such a good life and whatever. Like, I mean, you you listen can, to his music, man. Know, he was well, depressed as hell. For and most you can of his never, life. you can never see what's behind the curtain just mm-hmm. from watching someone perform or listening to someone's music. Like, you don't know what's going on yeah. in someone's life. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like not just suicides, but when it comes to uh, just any sort of artist's death, like, mm-hmm. chances are, whatever it is that they died from is the right answer. Yeah. You know? I mean, I'm sure that, like, again, like, recently, and I don't want to go down too much the conspiratorial rabbit hole, but we saw the recent, um, who was the, um, oh, who's, who's, who's the name of the, the, the guy who recently died in prison because for the, all the, Epstein, this, Jeffrey Epstein. Jeff, Jeff, Epstein, thank you, yeah. Don't I get mean, political on here. <laughs> I mean, let, let's be real. I think most people on all, actually, from the few nonpartisan ish thing, consensus that I've heard in a very long time, um, but yeah, I think most people agree that he probably didn't commit suicide. Mm-hmm. He was probably, um, you know, he was probably murdered yeah. because he had a lot of dirt and a lot of people. I think most people can agree on that. Sure. But the difference between Jeffrey Epstein, mm-hmm. who had pretty much dirt and like how all these powerful people probably were part of a child sex ring. Right. And, you know, El- and, you know Elvis Presley and Tupac and yeah. whoever, most likely... They do not have the same kind of political dirt <laughs> on people that Jeffrey Epstein did. Right. So there even, really is no reason for them to actually right. like even political figures like their own like Lenin when we were researching this. This is the dumbest theory that I came across is that Stephen King killed, killed John Lennon. <laughs> I won't even get into that. But we just saw that on a list. <laughs> Um, and it was just like Stephen King actually killed John Lennon because Mark David Chapman kind of looks like Stephen King, and it was like people what? will find what? the most ridiculous parallels and things. It's exactly, exactly. But we, we now we've been clowning all these theories for a good you know twenty minutes at least here. Mm-hmm. But I I, w- I want to move on to something that we know actually happened in Israel, a true absolutely, story, absolutely. And uh, I want to talk about the Lost Green Day album, Cigarettes yeah. and Valentine. Okay. So this this is actually this is again a very much a true story. So um, you didn't know about this before, Andy, I did not. Did you? No. And granted, I didn't know about it until like a year and a half ago, thanks to uh, YouTube channel Rocked, who I mentioned this ch- show before. Mm-hmm. Really like his channel. You should go check him out. When he was doing his he, he was doing a series on Green Day. He brought this up, but I had never heard about this before. Mm-hmm. So in 2000, they released their album Warning, and while I think it's a very underrated album and everyone should go listen to it, at the time, no one liked it because it wasn't yeah. like Green Day. And everyone was like, it's too experimental. Didn't this is sa- garbage. Didn't sound like Duke. Where are my basically. songs about jacking off and smoking pot? <laughs> right. There's a general consensus. So, um, so, so they decided, okay, we're going to completely play it safe this time, and we're the, the band did, and mm-hmm. we're going to... Just go out, and we're just gonna make a straightforward pop punk record. Right. Um, so they did that, and in December of 2002, I think they were actually almost done. They they were only had like a little bit more like big mixing work to do on the record, mm-hmm. and yeah, and it was all going fine until in I think I think it was I think it was November. I don't remember. Hold on, let me look. Uh, is it December or November? November. November of 2002. November of 2002. Yeah. Um, some rando, we don't know who, mm-hmm. walked into the studio where the tapes were, grabbed them, and walked out. Yeah. 
of some some dude just stole a Green Day album. Right. Which I don't know how the fuck that happens. No. And I don't know what your motivation would be to steal a Green Day album. I mean, you guys does like, ha ha, I have the Green Day album. No one else does. <laughs> but do you even have a real wheel to play it or what, right. whatever medium it was recorded on? Right. Uh, apparently, they did have backups for it, but they said, oh, but the, but the recording started. It as a sign. It's, it's like. It wasn't up to their quality. Yeah. But. Like did you, did you just say it was like a sign? Yeah, I think well, from what I remember, they the the band members took it as a sign that like this album shouldn't be released and it should we can we should kind of start from scratch. I don't know if it's as profound as that, but yeah, but but it's something along that lines. So yeah, they 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 got motivated. Well, we should try let's try something really different. Mm-hmm. So they actually instead of going straight forward, they actually did. Tr- they actually um, did decide to do something radically different. And, yes. of course, we all know that today as American Idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most – I think it's the most successful selling album ever. Well, yeah, uh, if you rock, do – Rock, opera, if you, classic. If you do a Broadway version of it, I think it's pretty successful. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, that's pretty much – well, actually, that's not all of it because apparently they actually did – Get the the, t- the tapes that were stolen back. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I don't think they've ever mentioned how it happened, but um, how they got it back. But they apparently, have, they have played the title track live before. Yeah, though. they played title track live. I think one of the songs. Have I you listened to it? Uh, it was really good. You yeah. liked it. Yeah. I, I, you said it was more when you originally told me it's it was supposed to sound more pop punk like Dookie era. It. That didn't hit me right away. I thought it sounded more American Idiot era. Yeah, well, you know, and, and there's actually, and actually, one of the other songs, "Too Much Too Soon," mm-hmm. was actually the B side to, to the title track for American Idiot. And you know, and you, I mean, in a way, yeah, it's supposed to go back to the pop punk roots. But I, I think when you hear it, it's like imagine the song "American Idiot," right? As like, and then that's like all the songs to the album. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much I, my guess, what Bear, "Cigarettes of Valentine's" would be like. Yeah. So there are some songs released today, and I think they're really good. Just go check them out if you've never heard them. Yeah. But what's really too. annoying, they have the tapes back. They said so in like 2016, and they said they're reworking some of the material into, um, in, into new music. Well, in actually, yes, the track off of Revolution Radio, "Young Blood," is actually a scrapped version off that. Oh, album. really? It is indeed. I did not know that. Yep, I, but, I read that. Yeah, but it's still really annoying that they won't release the fucking tapes. <laughs> right. It's really annoying. Right. I don't know why they won't. It really would cost them anything. What's no. the harm for them? I don't know. So, and, and after the um, the track that they just put out, I really think they have nothing to lose. Yeah. It, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's, it's probably going to be much better than anything they're going to release today. Sure. So Maybe maybe it, they'll release it as like a um, companion to that album because you got – do they know like that this album's going to suck? Like yeah. I don't know. Like they did that, that that would be the best way to mitigate. Yeah, because ba- if that was gonna sound like what that le- last track did, was it um, "Father of All"? Is that what it's called? I think so. Yeah, it, it's terrible. So it, I don't know. I just if it was me, um, I'd stick to my roots and the the my strengths and not try to uh, imitate 2010s indie music. But that's just me. Um, <laughs> but anyways, an- another another story I have that's kind of related to that. Um, oh yeah, of just a, a band that another band that kind of like also about to go on tour with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hella mega tour. Yeah, but um, there's also the story of the Weezer album, um, "Songs from the Black Hole," which is supposed to be the direct follow up to the Blue album. I wish Brent was here was talk to talk about this more because I know this is actually some of his favorite Weezer material. Mm. 
is comes off of the these songs and you can still find them on on Bandcamp but they're not released in any sort of major way like no label has ever put them out or whatever yeah. but um the original plan after the blue album Rivers Como planned to write basically this space themed rock opera this really dark space themed rock opera that um called Songs from the Black Hole and it never got released and in lieu of that we got Pinkerton which is still a great album mm-hmm. but um I still to this day wonder it, what would happen to Weezer's reputation because, as you know, Pinkerton wasn't re- really critically received well. I wonder what would have happened if uh, Rivers released Songs from the Black Hole instead of it's, Pinkerton. It's interesting because here's the thing. I mean, even though everyone kind of trashed on Warning, go mm-hmm. back to Green Day, yeah. uh, people loved American Idiot when that came out. Definitely. And that's a rock opera. I mean, granted... It's a little different, I think, for Green Day because when they released that, it was a very politically charged album. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't actually, like, oddly enough, unlike the Vietnam War, when you're looking back at the time for, like, the Iraq War and, like, the Bush era, there wasn't a whole lot of, like, really strong politically charged music coming out at the time. Sure. So I think in a combination of that kind of zeitgeist and it also being just a great album yeah, and just kind of something different as well, I think people were much more willing to accept, you know, this different kind of approach than what they did in Warning. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could say that, I don't know if that kind of cultural, you know, I, I don't think at the time, like people weren't like really thinking too politically, I don't think at the time. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, even though it wasn't a political album. I don't know if a rock opera would have done the same amount of good in the late 90s with Weezer like it did with Green Day. Absolutely. In the Absolutely. And I, 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 it's obvious that the Weezer dilemma is for a completely different reason than Green Day. They didn't, they didn't the tapes weren't stolen. Yeah. It was just that Rivers I think was going through some sort of emotional issues at the time and decided let's let's make this darker, more grittier um album which eventually became Pinkerton mm-hmm. and kind of scrap the rock opera idea. But those those tracks are still out there and I strongly suggest anybody who has yeah, Bandcamp on YouTube as well. YouTube Bandcamp uh look it up because I I I agree those those are some very that's very good material. It's definitely Anything better that came off the Black Album? <laughs> Damn straight. And, or what? If whatever that Wayne Halen thing is going to be. Yeah, let's we'll we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, let's let's not let's we know what happens when both you and I talk about Weezer on this yes. show. Yeah, so okay, let's we gotta, move we gotta swiftly keep it on. brief. <laughs> and then we'll go on to another true story. Actually, let's do um, it. One that I think you're kind of amused by. Uh, certainly, um, this is uh, I think from like the late sixties, early seventies. The Legend oh. of the Mask Marauders. Yeah, this one's so interesting. Do you do you want to explain this one first? Um, do you want me to? I, I, I know a little bit of information, so why don't I explain it and you kind of uh, correct me as yeah. I go. But from what I understand, there was a Rolling Stone article, mm-hmm. a review, published um, in 19... Was that 70-something? That was 79, I think. No, early 70s, like 71. No, it was... Um, I think it's, uh, nope, I think it's, uh, it says October 18th, 1969. 69. Okay, so we're still in the late 60s, right? Mm-hmm. And this, this super group was, uh, the this review. Supposed super group. Supposed super group um, that they detailed in this um, review consisting of John Lennon, um, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Mick Jagger, and Bob Dylan. Right, I think of, George of, Harrison. Did you say George Harrison? George Harrison was in there, from what I've read. Yes. it was basically like the majority of the Beatles with Mick Jagger and Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, how cool does that sound right off the yeah, bat? Oh right, my God, and this crazy. is like the era of super groups, right? You know, yeah, so cream was mm-hmm. kind of smoke. No, 
Was Creep a super group? Creep's a super group, yeah. I think and so. then Derek and the Dominoes was next year. It's another mm-hmm. super group yep. with Clapton. So, yeah, certainly a lot of super groups come out at the time. Right. Um, so th- this this review gets produced, and obviously everyone's like, where can I get this album? Yeah. Like, I need to hear it right but, now. But here's the catch. Mm-hmm. Total bullshit was not a real thing. No, not at all. So and, I, and I think it was... The writer... I'm sorry, go ahead. The writer's name... Is, I have uh, it written down. Real Marcus? Real Marcus, yep. Yeah. And um, he produced it as kind of like a um, more of a, a statement, right? Like uh, kind of. Like, yeah, he wrote that I, from my understanding because actually funny enough, uh, I, I'm not saying I'm a fan of, the, of, of him or mm-hmm. his show, but Brian Williams actually in 2013 did like a video piece with them. I did. I watched that. Yeah, that yeah, was actually did I. And research. I think what he – I think what they – they said in that segment was, yeah, that he just wanted to like make fun of all these like super overgrandizing reviews they're being reviewed at the mm-hmm. time, like in Rolling Stone. Yeah, Rolling Stone, especially at that time, had a tendency to just rate everything positively. Right? They're the IGN of their days, right? Exactly. So anyway, so the 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 writer of this this piece um, and an, another character whose name escapes me. Um, recruits a band to record this album, and you can still find this album oh, yeah, on Spotify. It's, but you and it's gonna sound like Mick Jagger singing, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. It's so it was a very tongue-in-cheek record. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, they would parody old Rolling Stone songs like mm-hmm. "I Can't I Can't Get No Satisfaction." It's now "I Can't Get No Nookie." Yeah. And yes, it sounds like Mick Jagger singing Nookie. Clearly, yeah. this was the inspiration of Fred Durst. Yep. And at the time, Bob. Dylan was going through a kind of a country bluegrass kind of evolution, mm-hmm. so the song Cow Pie was kind of a play off that as well. <laughs> and I mean, here's the thing, whoever did those impressions, they're pretty, pretty good. Yes. Like this, you could see how a lot of this could have actually fooled people, mm-hmm. and it did. Not only from like the reviews yeah. and everything, it sold over a hundred thousand copies. Yes. People are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it it is marked as one of the biggest like music scandals, um, like bullshit, basically. And they, I, I think he said, I think in that segment he said possibly the biggest music hosts of all time. Yes. And it's it's just it it that was probably the last mm. era before you get things like social media and the internet and things that would um, you know, basically blow a conspiracy like this out of the water right away. This is the last era you're probably going to get a big musical hoax like yeah. that. That's the last chance you're going to get to make something like that happen, and it yeah. happened. You know? Well, I, th- I think I had a little bit longer ways to go before we got the internet. So mm-hmm. other things, like other rumors, other stories that could happen, some of which we'll get to later. Sure. But yeah, um... But yeah, other, other than that, yeah, you. I know Rhino re- did a limited repressing of it, um, yes. I think, in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you can still stream it on Spotify. So if you really want to hear Mick Jagger singing about Subnookie, go for you're it. You're weird, but go for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is completely up to your um, prerogative. Yes. Um, Sorry for my coughing, by the way. I kind of want to talk about Clatu now. If you, we're talking. Go, I was going to say, do you want to go to Clatu? Yeah, a little uh, bit, because I just think it, it kind of ties in so, with this. Well, actually, one of those examples, like I said, there's more stories like this mm-hmm. in in the 70s, and we'll jump right to it. Another Beatles-related conspiracy theory here. There's a lot of Beatles stuff. I mean, uh, if you're the biggest those, band of all time, you're yeah. going to have some theories. Story, yeah, kind of unfortunate story of Klaatu. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Klaatu was a band out of Toronto, Canada, in like the mid-70s, mm-hmm. and... They had they're kind of like elements of progressive rock and other aspects of them, and 
when you listen to them, you in some of their songs, especially on their first record, which is just called Clatu in the States. I they had another title in Canada, but mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't remember what it was. But um, yeah, some of it sounded sounds like the Beatles, and they were all on Capitol Records. Yeah, and there were no individual song credits. So it was everything was just credited to the bands. So no one really knew the names of it, and there were no photos published with it. And oh, you know where this is going. Yes, people. A lot of people genuinely thought that this was the Beatles reformed under a pseudonym um, and releasing music. In fact, a lot of people who subscribe to the Paul is Dead theory mm-hmm. will actually claim that this is just John, John, George, and Ringo, and wow. they're just reformed together to, wow. to uh, <laughs> tribute their fallen friend, I guess. That's crazy. Which, it, it's... It was really stupid. Has, has anyone ever talked to the actual um, people from the band? Huh? Have, have there ever been interviews? I'm sure there have been interviews. I didn't find any when I did some research. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, but like, like I said, uh, but there are photos of the actual band. You can find them. Mm-hmm. So Interesting. Uh, but, yeah, um, so, the, so those rumors starting to get spread. And I think actually around during – they're actually in England during the making of the second album. The band was. Mm-hmm. And uh, – um, when I actually initially told you about the story, I actually kind of got it wrong. I said, because here's the thing. A lot of music journal, there were a lot of music journalists who rightfully said, okay, this is bullshit. This is not actually true. Right. But a lot of them kind of did press the rumor. Mm-hmm. I initially thought the band was actually one of them. They were actually like, oh, yeah, sure, we're solely the Beatles. We're just not going to say anything and just let people believe that. Right. That's kind of true. But – um, actually, they just the reason they didn't say anything because they didn't take it seriously. They saw other articles. Okay, people recognizing this is stupid, so we're just gonna let this be. Yeah. From what I read, Capitol Records, the scumbags, they decided to like not denounce it and just let it go and try to milk right, it for what it's worth. Right. So the label behind their backs kind of screwed them over because, as you can imagine, when people found out that they weren't the Beatles, they weren't gonna listen to them. Yeah. yeah. Which. It's also stupid on their parts because you built up this expectation for for this band that obviously you if you gave any common sense to isn't correct. Right. That is, that is maybe maybe that's the last uh, big <laughs> musical hoax you can ever have recorded in history. Well, that wasn't even really a hoax, really. That was yeah. just like a collective conscience of people just being wrong about something. Right. I mean, really, I, what, 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 what's their mindset? Oh, my God, it's the Beatles. They're reformed in their new name, and they're in Canada. Right. It's just like, it's silly. And, it is silly. You know, I don't know. I, I, I totally agree with you. Like, There's so much hoax and, and conspiracy around mm-hmm. the biggest band of all time. Yeah. You know, and I think I think that's the last one we had on the list. Uh, yeah, I think so. So, you know, we'll, we'll spend the last 15 minutes or so, however long we want to do this, yeah. talking about some other stuff. I want to go into more, um, move away from artists now and talk more about just um, phenomenons in the music itself. Mm-hmm. Um, starting with, what do you what do you, you want to do? Do you want to do? I don't know. You've, you've, you're, we're going out of order here. And you're I kind of want to get spooky now. I kind of want to talk get a about. Spooky. I kind of want to talk about songs that'll make me want to die. Oh no! <laughs> oh god! Cancel the episode. <laughs> Jesus! All right. So yep, we're 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 in. I, I guess like this could be the Halloween part, although that'd be pretty morbid. Mm-hmm. Um, talking about songs that are. So that Supposedly. it probably had the power to make people want to commit suicide. There's no nice way of saying it. Yeah. So uh, there we have actually a couple examples under this. But I guess the first recorded example Instance, of this yeah. 
is uh, uh, is a song called Gloomy Sunday, but I'm going to butcher this name. I think it's Rezzo Cerez. It was republic and he republicist in 1993, and then I, some other dude, I think also from Hungary. That's where, that's where the composer was from. Yeah, they're Hungarian. Laszlo Chavior, Ch- Chavor, I don't know. Okay. I, I, I'm Stop sorry. trying to say foreign names. Basically, so, I'm sorry it's... to everyone who might be listening to this from Hungary. Right. Um, but yeah, um, it's also noted as the Hungarian suicide song. There you go. Because apparently this song is so achingly sad that people will, it drives people to want to kill themselves. Um, notably because the, 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 the lyrics that are more hot than the poem that um, Mr. Shivor, uh, I'm going to try to say his name mm-hmm. again, wrote was actually a story about how this this guy wants to, you know, kill himself because his wife took his own took her life and he wants to join her. Jeez. So that kind of led to a lot of supposed to fact I think the the what I saw there's supposed supposedly around like 19 suspected related suicides between Hungary and the US about this song possibly um, making people want to, you know, t- end their own lives. And there Jeez. are some dramatic stories that people have about this. Yeah. I've heard ones where, like, some guy, like, heard, like, like a beggar whistling. Like, they heard someone whistling it, and then they um, threw all the money at a beggar, and they, they threw themselves off a bridge. Jesus. And apparently the, the composer also, unfortunately, took his own life way later in life, and people just huh. assumed that was related to the song. It's... It... it, it and it's weird because this was actually taken taken surprisingly ser- seriously during the time. Yeah, there was a lot of not, a lot of these haven't been confirmed, but there's a lot of stories about radio stations banning the song. Mm-hmm. The one we do know that is confirmed is from BBC from BBC Radio, who own I think somewhere in the mid 30s only allowed the instrumental version of the Billy only the instrumental Billy Holiday version to be played, not even one with lyrics, and that band stuck. That pen was there until 2002. Wow. So, it, to me, I, I, to me, I, again, it's early on. We don't have a lot of the facts, so it's really hard to confirm a lot of this. Right. And like a lot of these songs, as we're going to get to, it yeah, really I, doesn't seem plausible. I mean, unfortunately, this trend doesn't stop in the 1930s. It no. actually continues all the way to the age of metal. Um, yes. Yeah, so in 1980, you couldn't find a bigger boogeyman with a, a more, you know, revered boogeyman with the Christian right than heavy metal. Mm-hmm. And two notable, and you know, there was a lot. Of course, the PMRC was coming up during that time, and metal was a huge target of them for being you know, satanic or right. highly sexual or you know just extremely graphic and violent. Mm-hmm. And um, this. Part of, a lot of this culminated in two different, uh, actually two different lawsuits filed against two notable, you know, Artists. metal mu- musicians, mm-hmm. Ozzy, particularly being Ozzy Osbourne and Judas Priest right. for their songs uh, "Suicide Solution" and uh, the cover of "Better by You, Better Than Me," respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much the the, the the Ozzy one's more, I think, more widely publicized. It's a pretty famous case. Essentially, this kid. Um, I, I wrote his name down. I don't, I, do you want to say the name? Yeah, that's not. That's not that. It's probably a good thing. But uh, but a kid, allegedly, from my understanding, uh, had headphones in. He was listening to Ozzy Osbourne's classic uh, solo debut, Blizzard of Oz. And he had unfortunately taken his own life while he was listening to it in his bed. Hmm. 
And on that side, who's listening to was his song "Suicide Solution." Yeah. And then when his parents saw that, they were like, "Oh my God, this is he, this song drove he was such a normal kid before, and this drove him to commit suicide." And then that's when they filed the lawsuit against Ozzy, and it's all really silly. It really is. And I, again, there was a huge Christian panic against metal during that time, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people. We're jumping to conclusions with this. Sure. When you actually listen, read the lyrics, it's about alcoholism. I yeah. think particularly a Bon Scott from ACDC who had died from over-drinking in 1979. Right. Um, so that's what those lyrics are about, and Ozzy has said that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and while Ozzy, in, in interviews when he's talked about this, Ozzy has said, yeah, of course I feel bad for the kid, but how? even if this did cause him to commit suicide, how could you blame that on me? I, this wasn't my of intent. Of course. Um, what about the Judas Priest song? What about that one made it? Um, so that was a cover that they did for their late 70s album, Stained Class. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently in 85, uh, there was these two kids in Nevada who had, well, one tried to kill himself. One actually did unfortunately kill himself. Um, and they are intoxicated at the time. And apparently they were listening to the song. And apparently, and this is where you get to subliminal messaging, right. which is apparently like one of the, I think, lawyers in the case arguing for the parents in that yeah. you know, said there was this hidden message there it's kept saying do it do it do it and of course that's going to make people want to apparently blow their heads off the shotgun uh, it's again it's all very silly and most of that was just fooled by right uh, by right wing propaganda at the time and it's the same thing with the gloomy sunday one as well where that just kind of um which is again it was just such a wide it was a phenomenon here's this and again with the heavy metal trend in the late 80s it was widely driven by some phenomenon that like oh my god you know this is going to make people you know end their lives and then suddenly that starts to get you know spread around and misinterpreted and hell could cause you know panic it's kind of similar to somewhat like Orson Welles with like when he read um was it War, War of the Worlds? Was that, was that his? Sure. You know, it, you you could see somewhat similar panic to that. And okay. when stuff spreads like that, yeah, people are going to start believing, oh, of course, this is going to make people kill themselves. But no one piece of media is ever going to drive someone to commit suicide. That's right. just silly. The, I guess the only example that's ever uh, of this instance that's ever appeared in my life isn't a... Um, a a record or a, a, a song by a famous artist. It's actually from a video game. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everyone's heard of. Uh, if you're a Pokemon fan, at least you'll you'll hear of uh, Lavender Town Citrum mm-hmm. from the original Pokemon game, uh, Red or Blue. And basically, what ha- what it is is when you get to a certain town in the game, um, you know the the soundtrack will change and it'll start playing this really eerie music. And the, and the whole theme of this this setting, mm-hmm. in in the game at the time, is supposed to be uh, home to a lot of ghost type Pokemon. It's supposed to be very spooky and scary. And obviously, they play some really spooky music. And um, I guess there's um, a lot of people speculated that there's frequencies hidden in this song <laughs> that um, causes headaches, causes uh, you know kind of dementia. And in some cases, would drive um, you know young children to unfortunately commit suicide. I, I don't believe that for a minute, but it, it but it event it did eventually t- uh, get the Pokemon Company and Nintendo to oh, slightly they, alter the music for the remix. Did they? Yes. Well, I, well, I, well I, so here's the thing. I don't. So first of all, the the, sto- the story, the main story about Lavender Town Syndrome. Mm-hmm. Comes from a creepy pasta. Yes. So, so already from there, you shouldn't believe it. But yeah, the idea was that like over two hundred Japanese students committed suicide. Right. And 
from according to that, and of course the headaches and nosebleeds, and many YouTube, gaming YouTubers who've discussed this in their own conspiracy videos, they said, oh, when I actually did plug, go put it through a spectrogram, I did find the ghost sprites through there, and the words leave now right. with it as well, and um, and then of course some say, oh, when I was listening, I was getting headaches, you know, mm-hmm. and it. I, again, like I just said with, with with the stuff about Gloomy Sunday and the and the, the met, and the metal songs, that could just obviously just be a you know you hear people like oh this causes headaches now mm-hmm. suddenly oh my questioning do I have a headache it, right this now this is this is at a different decade though this is um when the internet is just starting and uh, you know um at least in in ninety nine I think when Red came out ninety. Yeah, yeah, ninety eight. But like, um, I think the creepy pasta didn't come out till like two thousand ten or right, two thousand nine. Right, but you're 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 looking at something that's that's in the prime stage for basically internet misinterpretation. Yes, you know. So you have to take that into account and realize that a lot of the stuff that you're gonna read on creepy pasta or some of these horror sites, it's obviously fake, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I but it but it with Lavington syndrome. The difference here, I think, is that I like a lot of people have tried to prop this up as, again, when people say, oh, I did have headaches when I was listening to this, mm-hmm. they're trying to prop it up as being somewhat legitimate. Right. And here's the thing. I mean, especially looking at the early days of Pokemon, I don't know, this is, this might be going over a lot of people's heads here, yeah. but like, first of all, the Lavender Town, the whole idea of it's creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Like, it. Even though it's a children's game, essentially glorifying dogfighting, yeah, it, it's still relatively happy-go-lucky for for mm-hmm. most of it. Absolutely. And then suddenly you get to this town, and out of nowhere, you hear this creepy song, and you get this town that's centered around death. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh wait, wait, my Pokemon can die? That's a thing. I thought when my, you know, when my Bulbasaur gets blasted with fire, he just faints. Like we're right. telling my Pokemon can actually die. Right. What the hell is suddenly this gets way too real, way too quickly. Mm-hmm. And obviously, some of that like could with this really oddly uncomfortable song. Yeah, some people may start to question stuff behind it, and you know, but and also remember, I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but mm-hmm. I think with the original anime, they aired this this episode around a. Pokemon named Porygon again. Yes, I remember a lot of people. But essentially, all you need to know is that episode had a lot of crazy movements with it and caused actually a lot of genuine seizures with kids who had epilepsy in Japan. It was only aired, I think, every once in that country. So stuff like that, yeah, I could could see why some people could see this going past being creepypasta and actually some kind of urban legend that some people might believe Mm -hmm. because there was a lot of weird stuff happening early on and that that franchise's history. Yeah, definitely. Well, Andrew, we're at 55 minutes right now. Mm-hmm. Do we want to do a couple more, or do you, you think know, we're going to do a couple more, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to go through okay. them quickly. What do you got for me? Um, do you want to talk about weird phantom songs? Yeah, do Oh, yes, yes. I, I, I want this one in here because this is... Andrew's mentioned this one on the podcast before, I believe. Maybe... Yeah. I don't know if it was during recording, but it was definitely like... After or before we were talking we, we, about we, it? I, I did tell us during recording. This was okay. my recommendation. So if you want to start oh, with yeah. the modern one right now. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll go to that one then. Um, at the end of the first episode of the season, mm-hmm. I talked about the song that's regarded as the most mysterious song on the internet. Pretty much there's this weird, po- it's a pretty standard, actually, pretty standard sounding post-punk song. Yeah. With the weird, main thing about it is that no one knows who the actual artist or the song title or the album title. They don't know anything about the song. All they have this song, and they guessed it was played on like a German radio station in the early to mid-80s, somewhere between 1982 and 1984. Yeah. Um, 
um, people, and uh, since pretty much since the year 2007 on uh, the internet, but, but it's really been kickstarted earlier this year, a lot of people are not trying to figure out what it was. And since then, um, they, they've contacted a, a possible radio host in Germany that may have played the song right. during one of his shows. Of course, he said, I have no, I don't remember playing this. Right. Um, or if you're going back and, uh, and people have actually found the full version of the song mm-hmm. before they only had a clip. And um, they're now, and now there's a whole subreddit called, um, I think it's called That Mysterious Song, which right. you, can go look, you can go look up on your own time. And it's frequently, people are frequently posting, you know, possible, this could possibly be the song, or I have another lead to find it. Mm-hmm. Now there's in this collective force on the internet. It's really cool, actually, wow. trying to figure out the name of the song and who wrote it. I think a lot of people said it might be like the wind is the title because that mm. these people think they hear that, that phrase a lot said in the song. But again, we don't. No one really knows this for sure. So it's an on. What's different than a lot of these, a lot of the actual true cases on this list. It's currently an ongoing mystery that yeah. that you can participate in if you ever so choose. Yeah, this is. We'll definitely. We should put the song in here. Yeah, and if, and if you, I, th- I think we actually did play the clip in our first set intro. Yeah. But yeah, okay. why we'll not? Do it again. Once again, play the most mysterious song. Yeah, see if you internet. know it. If you've heard it, yes, maybe you'll solve Random the mystery. Random people in Central Michigan, <laughs> do you know this really obscure mid '80s German post-punk song? <laughs> Please tell us. In the- <laughs> Dude, we just gotta, we just gotta bring it back to Brent, and he'll know it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Honestly, but uh, what's what's our other phantom song we have? So, pretty much the exact opposite of this. Mm-hmm. For in, in a sense, in the recent years, been solved, but um, pretty much the opposite case of this German post punk song is a song called "Ready and Steady" by a band called D A D dot capital A right. dot. So, um, story goes. Um, Looking back at the Billboard charts, especially the bubbling under chart, yeah. Um, in June on June sixteenth, nineteen seventy seventy nine, um, a song that song appeared at uh, I think one hundred six on the Billboard charts, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of stayed there for um, actually peaked at one hundred two, and I think it was on the charts for three weeks, mm-hmm. and then went away. Interesting. And it's never seen on the charts again. Or ever really heard for for about forty years because, for the longest time, no one knew what the song was. No one heard it. No one could find this song that randomly appeared on the Billboard charts. Hmm. I think there is a music uh, historian. Um, what's his name? Joel Whit- Whitbaum was the first one to realize. Hey, I've I've been cataloging all these songs for all these songs that's, that's appeared on the on the bubbling on the bubbling under charts and the Billboard charts. I do not have the song. Right. And he couldn't find it. He speculated there was actually a punk band from Chicago called DA, mm-hmm. but it was actually a different one. It was actually D, capital D, capital A with an exclamation point. It's actually a different band. Right. But um, yeah, and he actually looked at the um the record label this was under. But when he actually went to the address for it, I think it was actually in Detroit. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> there's a lot of Michigan connections with this yeah. episode. Uh, you just find an empty warehouse. Wow. So. For a long time, people was like, where, what, where is this song? Why does no one know it? Yeah. It was actually until 2016 when, like, I think people were looking at all like, copyright claims. They actually did find it, uh, and, a, and a track of it was surfaced. And it was actually never played on radio until 2016. You might be thinking, well, if it was never played on radio, how did it get onto the charts in the first place? Right. Apparently, there was some record, like, 
you know, was a was a record producer or no, a record promoter, sorry, who like who thought the band was really good and just like, hey, we was really pushing this to get on yeah, the Billboard chart. Hold some strings, right? Yeah, so mm-hmm. that's mainly the story of that rock and steady. You could actually go look again. It, the song was resurfaced, and you can go look it up on YouTube. I wonder if this was it's a, not very good. Yeah, I wonder if this was the first instance of a quote unquote industry plant. Well, I mean, possibly. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, maybe there was some family connections going on here, mm-hmm. but like we don't know. It's only I, I said that because that's only speculation. But right. um, yeah, you really can't. Uh, it's really, you can't really say it for sure, because it's still kind of a mystery in, like, who these guys were. I think the main musicians are, uh, have long since passed, mm-hmm. fortunately, but, yeah, it, it is a very odd yeah. piece of music history. All right, we are at an hour. What do well, you think? we have one more that we can talk about. Yes, okay, what is you, it? Would you like to introduce it, since you know the band a lot more than I, better than a lot more than I do. Wait, we're talking about... Are Neutral we do- Milk Hotel. Oh, no. I don't even know if this is worth talking about, dude. Huh? <laughs> I don't even know if this is worth well, talking about. Well, I, I, it's a conspiracy theory. And I suppose. You actually know a lot more of the conspiracy well, well, theory than well, then, I but, do. But first, but first to talk, talk about the backstory of this record. Well, talk. sure, sure. I mean, um, for people who don't know, Neutral Milk Hotel is um, a really famous band kind of in the um, 90s indie, late 90s indie music um, very underground, kind of hipsterist music. It's labeled as like the the A1 ultimate pick. hipster album. Yeah, much. therefore I love it, right? But um, no, it and and the band is headed by a um, prolific songwriter named Jeff Magnum, and uh, the they produced an album, their second album, their first one's called On Avery Island, which is also pretty good. But their second album is widely regarded as a regarded as a, a cult classic really when it comes to indie music called in the aeroplane over the sea and on this album you're going to find a lot of strange um lyricism regarding around a lot of magnum's lucid dreams and um also i mean i'll recommend this album to anybody because the instrumentation is so brilliant it, he's able to compose these songs with so many basic chords on guitar a lot of horns a lot of just great composition please go listen to in the aeroplane over the sea if you never have before but what you, you're also going to get just very strange lyricism that's up for interpretation and um the big joke surrounding this album and i guess conspiracy or or folklore also Regards around Jeff Magnum's sort of obsession with Anne Frank, because he had recently read the um, the diary of Anne Frank before yeah. this rec- record, correct? Yes, yes, he did. But um, and you're gonna see, you know, you can see that right in the titles of songs like um, Holland 1945, or maybe um, you. Uh, basically just that one and maybe the title track you're going to get some allusion to that as well um but mainly a lot of people started to speculate what um the the lyrical themes for that song was mm-hmm. and uh i don't know i, I don't not, i don't really know <laughs> The, the conspiracy surrounding it so, i guess there's time travel theories and yeah, shit so that's pretty that's pretty much the one <laughs> well like like you said there was um a lot of talk about Anne Frank around this album. And I know before um, he had been reading, read her diary and whatnot, and he was Mm -hmm. apparently deeply affected by it. And, you know, obviously led to some illusions on that album. Yeah. And you reference his lucid dreaming where he said, well, I wish I could have traveled back in time to save her. It was a subject for a lot of his dreams during that time. (laughs) Some people actually apparently believed he did that, (laughs) which... (laughs) 
I don't know, dude. I I just I did I thought we were gonna be able to skip over this one just because like Jeff Magnum is just a weird dude well, in general. Uh, well, apparently his fans are also equally weird too. With mm-hmm. At least their theories. So apparently in 2012 there was um I because th- we're all great things that internet come from 4chan. Yes. People started to speculate um that hey we s- some people actually came across his yearbook. Mm-hmm. I think his high school yearbook. They also found a, a girl. They found him, Jeff Magnum. Mm-hmm. They also found a girl in there named Caroline Magnum. Mm-hmm. Now, any rational human being would assume, oh, that's just a sister. But that, 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 that's not good enough for them. Yeah. Apparently, they said, wow, this girl looks a lot like Anne Frank. <laughs> and they assumed that the adult Jeff, Jeff Magnum actually traveled back in time, saved Anne Frank from the Holocaust, brought her... To somehow be his friend growing up. <laughs> and then they also, this doesn't stop there. They also believed that his wife also was surprised it looks a lot like Anne Frank if she grew up. <laughs> so they also think that Anne Frank, um, that the, the supposed Anne Frank and Jeff Magda moved away. They changed their name and now he's married to presumably Anne Frank. Look, today. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there <laughs> and just say, I think. <laughs> This theory, quote unquote, is the product of just really shitty internet music chad humor. But yeah. Um, and I think really what it is is just a um a funny. It was publicized around it when really? people started doing it. Yeah. Really? I really. Granted, I wouldn't call these very strong publications, but yeah. But apparently, this is some speculation going. I on. I strongly believe that nobody in the world <laughs> believes that this is true. I, I you know what? <laughs> Here, here's what I'm gonna tell you. I will. I guarantee you that yes, most. Milton Mickletel fans probably don't believe this. Yes. Guarantee you. You can't tell me in the in the history of music and the internet that not that at least not one person actually buys into this theory legitimately. Sure, there has to be. A but one I, straggler. But I bring it up because it's honestly just funny. It is hilarious. I'm glad we ended on this one because <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> we, we can also talk about backmasking. I'm good. <laughs> we'll, we'll end on Android. Yes. Jesus Christ. This hey, has been an episode. This has been an episode. I don't and know. Would you but, would you view this as a successful episode or did it fall on its face? I mean it fell on the face at some points. I feel we could I could have elaborated my points a little bit this more. This was this was very I much talked too much on this episode. No, funny. it's okay, because most of the stuff you knew about, I only mostly knew about the uh the really common stuff, yeah. like the Beatles stuff and whatever. But uh no, I I think it was I think it I was think a it, somewhat it was a of a fun success. episode. I hope yeah, everyone if somehow anyone is still listening to this point, we, we hope we hope you are, and we hope that you had just as much fun listening to us shit on all these stupid theories <laughs> and talk about these weird stories as much as we enjoy talking about them. Indeed. Now it's time for your favorite section of the show. How do you know this weekly... is favorite section? It's my favorite section. Oh, well, then it's Michael's favorite section. It, yeah. that doesn't mean it's the listener's favorite section, Michael. You know what? I, you know, an assumption makes an ass out of you and me. But so now, which is what which is what you're doing right now. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to we're going to go ahead go ahead with the weekly recommendations. I'm going to I'm going to give it a start this Please, time. Around, I, I, I got, got I got to pull up mine. Okay. Um so I often come back to this song. Um it just kind of appears in my feed from time to time for a, a number of reasons. Um the song is called In a Drawer 
by a band called Band of Horses. And I, I don't know if I've recommended this song I know, before. I feel like I've heard this band before. Well, you've probably heard the name because they're they're kind of a, a you know, a, a, your generic contemporary uh, indie band. Um, but this song in particular has Jay Maskus doing the guest vocals, so you know I'm into oh, it. Of course. But it's, of it's course. okay, listen, you have to listen to it, though, because, like, it, it's just um, him in the chorus mm-hmm. and the way they kind of, put this narrative together it's kind of a really a storytelling story about like um a kid uh like like listening to his grandpa like tell him stories and stuff and like talking about like old artifacts you'll find in a drawer and it's it's really cool the music video is kind of creepy but the um but no the and jay mascus isn't even in the music video but the uh the the guest vocals that jay performs on this track are amazing, huh. even if it's just one line or two here and there. Uh, would strongly recommend, and I, I often find myself coming back to this song when I'm in a really good mood and I just need like some sort of nostalgic kind of uh, bring back some good memories, you know. So check out that song. It's called oh. In a Drawer by a, a band called Band of Horses. What album is it off of? It's off Why Are You Okay? That's the album. Yeah. Nice. All right. When did they come out? Uh, this album came out 2016. The band got started in... Looks to be 2006. Ah. So they've been around. Ten yeah. years. Ten years. Ten years. That was all it took to, for them to work with Jay Mascus. Yeah. Pretty good. All right. Go ahead, man. So this is the one that you really wanted yes. me to recommend to yes. people. I actually did have something else to, uh, I was going to recommend. <laughs> I need this but, in here. But you, 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 you were... You were very giddy about when I when when we were talking when you were trying to piece together this episode on I think Friday, mm-hmm. um, I, I I I somehow I brought this up in the conversation and you were just like what this is a thing and you I'd never seen you so happy before in my life, uh, which guys I don't know why I never told you about this before I don't know why I never thought to connect the dots and tell you because this, I know you're a huge Lord of the Ring fan. Too. I am. I am. Um, I'm not. I'm not huge into fantasy stuff. So I mean, that's why I never thought to. But um, one of I think the guy played Saruman. Is that his Saruman? Name? Yes. Saruman. Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. He also played Count Dooku in Star Count Wars. Count Dooku in Star Wars. Dracula. He's also famous for do- like, all those the late '50s and '60s Dracula films. He was also a Nazi hunter during his uh, war of. Uh, Soldier Days. Yes. And uh, who, and he fortunately recently passed a couple years ago, but during the last, roughly the last decade of his life or so, he was an honest to God metal musician. Yes, he was. He was. So, for those who don't know, I think starting at around age 87, <laughs> he started working with fantasy power metal band Rhapsody of Fire. Um, and, and if you, if you love power metal, you probably already know everything about Rhapsody of Fire. So this isn't news to you, but, um, Rhapsody of Fire, I, 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 I enjoy them because everyone knows me. I like me some power metal. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And they had him guests on, I, I remember which song, I don't know. I think he's probably done a couple stuff with them, but, um, where he kind of like did voiceover stuff where he talked. I, I can't do it. Well, yeah. He, he has a great, like, kind of fancy baritone, baritone voice. Yeah. But, but he, he kind of did Holy Name of Cosmic Chaos. That's pretty good, actually. You know, and then, like, like that. that's, that's the kind that's the kind he did, like, voiceover work like mm-hmm. that. And then this eventually fled into him, like, actually doing his own solo stuff. A lot of them was, I think, work with guys from Rhapsody of Fire. Let's see. We got, um, uh, there, a lot of these are also just, uh, concept records about, um, King Charlemagne. Mm-hmm. Um, he really likes thinking about killing Saxons. Or I, something I like. suppose. 
uh, thing. So he, so he, he has one album called Charlemagne, Charlemagne by the Sword and Cross. That one's not very heavy. It's not very guitar driven. It's more, much more symphonic than, than his other stuff. Um, but the album that preceded that, Charlemagne and the Omens of Death, which actually did rework some material from that one, mm-hmm. much more metal driven. Also, yeah. production's pretty crap. <laughs> and that, that's, that's just why I would never really think to recommend this because, as much as it, it is, he's a, I'm gonna say this right now, his voice is surprisingly fits really well with like, especially power yeah. metal and metal music because, again, he has that deep voice. And he I, just really wa- <laughs> I just wanted you to recommend it because it's just so like it came out of nowhere. Like, the Chris Lee is one of the greatest actors of all time, and he's also a metal musician. Yeah, like, and, how and, cool and, is in his that? fucking 90s, yes, he, he released uh, Omens Charlemagne, the Omens of Death in 2013. He was well in his 90s at that point, yeah. Um, certainly the song that I know most well, and a lot of people would probably know, is Matt. Massacre of the Saxons. Definitely check that one out. <laughs> um, I think the guy from Rhapsody of Fire also sings on that, but mm-hmm. you'll you'll know when it's Christopher singing. Oh, he's yeah. also he's also distinguished as the oldest person to ever chart on Billboard. I think at like age ninety-three or something, somewhere in his mid-90s, his his rendition of Jingle Bell, also called Jingle Hell. Yes. Um, Cracked, um, I, th- I think that's, I think around like, uh, just under the top 20 on Billboard. That's when nice. it debuted. And um, also features a cover of My Way with the single because why the fuck not? You're great. And essentially, yeah, just heavy metal jingle bells with Christopher Lee singing over it. It's pretty good, just actually. Just amazing. Um, so, yeah, that, why not? If that sounds like it would interest you, uh, definitely check it out. And I, that wraps up the. Recommendations and, and this, know, this kind of a spooky way to and you know the Halloween themed mm-hmm. recommendations yes. which which fits right next to what our next episode's gonna be. What's our next episode gonna be, Michael? We're gonna invite our good friend of the show, Ben Ackley, who also produced the theme music, back to talk about some horror punk. And Hell uh yeah. I mean, beyond the misfits, I don't know much about it, but I'm excited to dive yes, in. I know. I know he loves the cramps, it's one of his favorite bands, so that's why we thought of him. So Anyways, beyond that, uh, I think that's it. Um, Good night, Detroit. Good night, Detroit.